121. We're doing the off. We're going to do the offering after the message. Sorry. We're doing. Sorry. Sorry. That's a practice run. Um, please open your Bibles to Psalm 121. This is the second of 15 Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 121, I think a very familiar, familiar song. In fact, the reason we'll be doing the offertory after the message is today's special music will be singing this song. And so I thought it would be more significant if we sang, if it was sung after it was taught um, than before. But let's begin by reading Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, a much loved song, song of security. And that, that's really what this psalm deals with, is security. And to sort of understand it, we've got to deal with this. What is a psalm of ascent? What's a song of ascent? Well, it was a pilgrim song. That's the blank there. It's a pilgrim song. We, we, we are used to living in the church as the people of God not having a geographic center. And the church can gather anywhere, in every country, in every tribe, in every tongue. It was not so under the old covenant. It was not so for Israel. And in Deuteronomy 16.16, 16, as well as Exodus 23, Israel is instructed with this. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths, and it shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. And so in Israel, pilgrimage, if you didn't live in Jerusalem, was a regular, thrice-a-year activity for all the men. And just start wrapping your heads around that. Um, before automobiles and airplanes, and, and trains. Three times a year, traveling to Jerusalem and back. Three times a year, going on a, a pilgrimage. And that's what these songs were made for. There's 15 of them, or 16 of them. And they were songs to be sung, and, and we'll see this, this motif. And so you can picture somebody weary, somebody potentially frightened, setting out on this journey, maybe well into their journey, and these songs were given to encourage them, songs for singing in these pilgrimages. Another thing I want you to notice is the shift from pronouns. The song breaks into four strophes or paragraphs or stanzas, um, verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, and 7 and 8. And in the first stanza, the pronouns are first person, I and my. I Lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens 
and earth. But after that, they switch from I, my, to he will not let your foot be moved. You sleeps will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade, and so on. So what do we make of that? Well, some have suggested that this was supposed to be sung by a leader in the, in the group traveling and the, the, the rest of the group would respond. It's, it's possible, but what I think is far more likely is as it occurs many times in the Psalms, this is a song that we sing to ourselves. This is self-counsel. That'd be the next set of blanks, self-counsel. You see that frequently in the Psalms. You remember Psalm 42 and 43 where David has a conversation with himself. Why are you downcast within me, O my soul? Hope in God's soul. And so the first verse is, is the question asked, a question we can all relate to. Where does help come from? And then the rest of the song is truth that, that this, this, we sing to ourselves, we speak to ourselves, we teach to ourselves to reinforce the answer. It's a really good habit to get into, to talk to yourself internally. It's going on all day. We're thinking and our heart is talking to us and our heart is pitching ideas and our heart is suggesting actions. And, and it's, as you grow as a Christian, you, you learn that the scriptures teach us we need, there needs to be a talk coming back from God's word. How do, you, how do you deal with discouragement? How do you deal with fear and anxiety? You speak truth back to yourself, just like in this psalm. So let's begin. Let's dive in um, to the first two verses. And in each one of these stanzas, we're going to learn something about who the Lord is for us, who, who the living God is in relationship to us. In the first stanza, we learn the Lord is your helper. The Lord is your helper. And it begins, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So we start off by thinking, what are these hills? And again, the commentators are all over the place. The hills, that's where bandits would come from and others. Well, hills is where you'd flee to. I don't think so. This is a pilgrimage to where? To Jerusalem. Mount Zion. In fact, there's a there's a progression in from Psalm 120. If you look in verse 5 there, um, it's taking place in the outskirts far away from Jerusalem. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. And now, in the progression, the psalmist is approaching Jerusalem, approaching the hills. And look at Psalm 122, verse 2. Now, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So you see the progression, 120, far away. 121, we're in sight of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, our feet are within the gates. So the hills are the hills of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is situated about 2,800 feet above sea level, surrounded by some even larger hills. Mount Scopus and the Mount of Olives are both bigger than that. In fact, Jerusalem, according to Psalm 125.2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. So this is, this is the location of Jerusalem. So wherever you're coming from, you are ascending up to Jerusalem. That's why there's songs of ascent. Whether you're coming from the north, the south, or the east or the west, you are ascending up the mount three times a year, at least. And so the psalmist 
presumably is coming towards the end of his journey. You can imagine he's tired, he's weary, and there it is. There is your destination. There's your goal. There's, there's Jerusalem. And within Jerusalem, the temple, the place where the Shekinah glory of the living God dwells, the place where these feasts are to be observed. And he, he asks the question, where does my help come from? And that's a question I think we, we can all resonate with at various times. Here you can imagine the, the, the weariness the tiredness, the soreness of being on a long journey. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe you're tired, you're discouraged, maybe you're afraid. You know, there's dangers in travel. And the question, where does my help come from? And the answer is astounding. You know, here's Jerusalem in sight. Here's the holy city. And his help doesn't come from Jerusalem. It doesn't come from the temple. It comes from the living God. Not, not his symbols, not his city, but the living God himself, who we will see is much closer than Jerusalem. And, and that's the answer. The rest of this song is to reinforce this answer. I mean, if you get anything, the big idea, the big picture, is when we are tired, when we are weary, when we are afraid, the help we need always comes from God, not something else. And it can be so easy and we can be so easily tempted to think our help will come from our retirement savings, our health insurance, our friends, our church. And those, those are things God will use at times to minister help to us. But understand, ultimately, our help comes from God. And the psalmist, at the end of his journey, you think he, it's almost as if he's reminding himself, it's the living God who is my help. It's not this city as important as this city is three times a year in obedience to God's word, it's not this city, it's not this temple, it's not this priesthood, it's not this nation, but it's the living God himself, the Lord. Notice this in all caps here. This is God's covenant name, Yahweh. God is my help. And God has given us things to help and strengthen us, but the point again here is we, we look to him for our help. Anything else will let us down, will fail us. Husbands, wives will, will fail you. Children, friends, the economy will fail you. Health insurance is failing you. Um, but the Lord will not. The Lord will not. And he gives a reason. Lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the reason is the Lord is the sovereign creator. He is the sovereign creator. And the logic is this. We can be afraid and tired. What's better, to look to the creator or the creation? The creator's better. The one who made everything is better. And by the way, this heaven and earth pairing is the first of a number of pairings. Um, the literary term, you don't need to know this, is called a merism. And what a merism is, is when you name two ends of the spectrum, assuming everything in between. Heavens and earth and all that is in them. You see down in um, verse 6, the sun and the moon, day and night. Verse 8, you're going out and you're coming in. 
and this time and forevermore. The notion is by grabbing both ends, or I'm the alpha and the omega, you're assuming everything in between. That's the concept. The Lord made the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. That's a way of grabbing everything. God made everything. And the God, the amazing news is the God who made everything is the God who is our help. And so this psalm is to remind us of that. It's the same logic Jesus gives in Matthew 10, 28 to 31, where he says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. How does, how does Jesus' logic work? God is the creator, but he's also the sustainer. He's sovereign. I mean, think about that. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of God. But that's an astounding statement. See, we don't have a God who stands back and things just sort of run their course. And every now and then God sort of, you know, gets, steps in and he does something. No, the, the biblical record is he makes the grass grow. He feeds the animals. The, the sparrows cry out to him for food. And not a single little bird falls to the ground apart from God's will. God is in control. When you start to grasp the sovereignty of God, I find the sovereignty of God one of the most encouraging and comforting because all around us, God is at work, and all around us, God is in control. According to Ephesians 1.11, he is working. He is working. He is working all things after the counsel of his will. And Romans 8.28 those who love God, he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Our help comes from the maker and sustainer of heaven and earth. Of what should we be afraid? Who can harm us if God is for us? Who can be against us? That's, that's the logic here. The Lord is our helper. And, he, and he's not some local deity either. Maybe, maybe in this pilgrimage this is also meant to remind the Israelites that whereas their God, our God, had a localized presence in Jerusalem, unlike other gods, he wasn't a regional God. He wasn't just the God of the Israelites. He wasn't just the God of the Middle East. But he's the God who made everything. He is the Lord. He is the creator. The Lord is your helper. Let's move on to the second stanza. Now the pronouns shift. Now the, the singer is, is singing to himself. We, we speak to ourselves, reminding himself. Because sometimes just knowing a piece of truth isn't enough, right? Sometimes you need to be told it again and again and in different ways. The Bible oftentimes repeats itself. I don't know if you've noticed that. Our men's group was going through Deuteronomy, and we were amazed again and again when Moses would say pretty much the same thing again and again and again and again. But you don't have to live very long as a Christian or read Israel's history very long to see we forget and we forget and we forget. And so here, not content with just one question and answer, it gets reinforced, it gets unpacked. How is the Lord our help? How does the Lord protect us? Well, second we see in verses three and four, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. And that word keep occurs six times in this psalm. It's kind of the theme 
of the psalm. And it can mean to watch over, to preserve, or guard. You see it in verse 3. He who keeps you will not sleep. Verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out. It's the Hebrew word shemar or shemer, to guard, to watch, to preserve, to look out for somebody. Um, and any of you who have children know what it's like. You know, we put the kids down, and, and we're watching over them. And if we hear a noise come from there, if we hear a child cry, mommy and daddy get up and we go. This is, this is a fatherly concept. And you understand this picture. God is watching over you. Your heavenly father is watching over you. According to Deuteronomy, you are the apple of his eye. And he's watching over you. It's a picture of stability and security. Your foot will not be moved, which is a, a common expression used in Psalm 36 and 66 of stumbling, of uncertainty. I mean, here legitimately, it's just climbing up Mount Zion. But, but as you go through your life, as, as you go about your business, because this psalm, by the way, does broaden out. I mean, I'm not spiritualizing this. It's written for the pilgrims, but by the time we get to verse 8, it's, it's talking about all time and forever. Not just when you're on pilgrimages, it's the Lord watching out for you, but he's always watching out for you. He's guarding you, protecting you from stumbling, strengthening you, establishing you. And it's a constant vigilance. You know, as, as much as Serena and I watch out for our kids and watch over them, we go to sleep. And there are times, that's the reason why we lock the doors, you know, because if we were asleep and someone were to come and do them harm, we, we wouldn't be able, unless we woke up, to do something about it. But here's the amazing news. The, the Lord our God who made everything, he's sovereign. I mean, let's just stack this up. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's our help. And he constantly watches over us and looks over us. His eye is on us, and he doesn't take a nap, and he doesn't go to sleep, and he doesn't take a day off. Our, our protector and keeper is vigilant constantly. And notice the other thing drawn attention to here is he is Israel's protector. And this is really neat. The one who is Israel's protector is your protector. There's this corporate notion and there's this individual notion. The one who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And, and you think of the amazing ways that God has kept and protected and watched over Israel. They were, they were swallowed up by Egypt. The Lord had his eye on them and he delivered them. And they were wandering around in the wilderness and the Lord gave them manna and food. Their shoes didn't wear out. And they were taken captive by Babylon. The Lord watched out for them and delivered them. But by the way, notice also, this is not a prosperity psalm. This isn't saying that nothing bad will ever happen. We, we know that because the very opening line is, I need help. And if, if life were just a bowl of cherries, if only good things happened to you, you wouldn't need help. But we need help. 
Life has trials, and God watched over Israel, and as you think through that, that doesn't mean that Israel didn't go through periods of captivity. What it did mean is God never took his eye off them. His plan was never thwarted for them, and he would in his time come and deliver them. The whole cycle of the judges teaches us the same thing. Israel would be unfaithful. God would give them into the hands of their enemies. They'd cry out to him. He'd deliver them. He is the keeper of Israel, and amazingly, after almost 2,000 years of dispersion, there's the same people with the same language on the same religion on the same piece of land today. And to quote Mark Twain, Israel is the anvil that has worn out dozens of hammers. The Lord keeps Israel. And you, you look at that perseverant keeping of Israel tied to a covenant. Because what, why does God keep Israel? Because he swore an oath to the fathers. And that same care and oversight is extended to each and every one of you here who, who know his son in Jesus Christ. That's amazing. You want to know if, if you're to slip through his hand, you're not going to slip through his hand. You want to know if he cares for you, he cares for you. You want to know if he's going to protect you and, and, and keep you safe, just look to the history of Israel. The one who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps, and he is the one who keeps you. He is your keeper. Third, verses five and six. The Lord is your comforter. The Lord is your comforter. Again, unpacking this notion of keeping and help. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, remember, we pictured at the beginning, the psalm is sung or picturing approaching Mount Zion. There it is, there's the end of our journey. And in case we're tempted to think, and that's where God is, no, he's at your right hand. He's present. At your right hand equals nearness. That's the other great thing about, about worshiping and serving a sovereign God. He is at work all around us. And we'll get here in a few weeks, but listen to the language of Psalm 139. Flip over to Psalm 139. It's just a few pages Psalm 139 really unpacks this notion of God's nearness. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, and the darkness is as light with you. There's nowhere you can go and God isn't already there. There's no darkness too dark. There's no light too bright. There's no place too high, too low, too far away to remove us from God's care. Even though they're going to Jerusalem to be near the Shekinah glory of God in his temple, what this psalm reminds them is, reminds us is that every step of the way God is at our right hand. He's there. And it's a picture of shade 
right, which is comforting. You guys ever be out working in the hot Iowa sun in August when it's so humid you can swim to your car and you get in the shade and it's refreshing, it's comforting, it's invigorating. And on this journey to Jerusalem and in our journey of life, the Lord is our comforter and he is near. And again, this picture of day and night, and that, that seems strange, and you think, how is the moon going to get a moon burn? No. It's, again, it's a merism. It's grabbing the whole picture. He, he is your protector day and night. He's your comforter day and night. Just, just as before we saw, he doesn't slumber or sleep. Now, this comfort, this shade, this protection comes day and night. God is a God of comfort. The Apostle Paul and 2 Corinthians 1 says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are afflicted with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God is the shade at your right hand. And whether it's night or whether it's day, he's watching over you. There's that word keeping again. He's watching over you. He's guarding you. The last one in the, in the last verse is a picture of strengthening and enabling. Here is a picture of protection and comfort. Let's move now to the final stanza. The Lord is our, your Savior. The Lord is your Savior. And now we, we strip away the metaphors to some degree and speak most plainly of all. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will guard you, protect you from evil. It's like the Lord's prayer. Deliver us from evil. Here's a promise the Lord will do just that. It's, it's a picture of protection and preservation. That doesn't mean that you, you won't experience evil. It doesn't mean that evil won't come into your life. But he will keep you. He will guard over you. He will watch over you in all evil. And Jesus says it this way in Luke 21, speaking to his disciples. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated for all You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. Well, what does that mean? You just said some of you are put to death. Not a hair on your head will perish. They're going to they're lift your hair up when they... No. Because now we're moving into the eternal sphere, right? Because that, that's where this goes, forevermore. And what Jesus is saying in, in Luke 21 is that God's protection and preservation ultimately is eternal life. So some of you, Jesus says, will perish here, but you're not going to perish. Don't you worry about that. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Protect and preservation. And then we get to our final merism, or our final set of merisms. He will keep your going out and your coming in, which again is a picture of all the business of life. It's not an expression that we use very often, but it's a Hebrewism used in 2 Samuel. Um, 
You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you were doing. And so that's what you're going out and you're coming in means. It's your daily activity. You get up and you leave and you go to work and you do your thing and you come home and you have your dinner. You're going out and you're coming in. This, these are the activities of life. Now we're no longer just looking at the pilgrimage, are we? We're, now we're looking at just everyday life. This isn't just a special promise for pilgrims going to Jerusalem. These are promises and truths about the character and nature of our great protecting, looking out for us, fatherly God. We'll keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. All spheres of life and conduct, all your activities. Get up in the morning, God's looking out for you. Heading off to work, God's looking out for you. Coming home from work, God's looking out for you. He's got his eye upon you. And then the last phrase here brings in the notion of eternal life and eternal salvation, both now and forevermore. See, this isn't just temporal promises that are being offered. These aren't just temporal promises. There's ultimately, and more fully, an eternal protection that God offers, right? If all God offered was protection from this life, that wouldn't be much. God has offered an eternal protection. Well, what is that? He gave us his son. You know that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life that we could never live. He died on a cross, willingly taking the punishment for our sins. He was dead and buried, and on the third day he rose again, and by faith in his name, we have eternal life. By faith in his name, we will go and live with God or he will preserve us or he will keep us forever. And that's ultimately the psalm leads into. And, and, and the good news is not just that God can be with you here today. The good news isn't just that God can oversee you and, and watch out for you in your, in your day-to-day dealings. Not just that God can strengthen you and sustain you and support you. The good news is that God can save and deliver you eternally. And that's ultimately what this psalm celebrates. This psalm celebrates ultimately the salvation of God. So, so what can we learn from this? I think a lot. It's a simple little song. We're going to sing it in a few minutes. But I think we see the importance of reminding ourselves of truth. Right? Each day, every one of us is asking that question, where does my help come from? Or the question's being asked for us. If you, if you turn on the television, you look at advertisements or see a billboard, here's what advertisements do. Got a problem? We've got the solution. Here's the product that you need. Right? This will solve your problems. This will deliver you. And, and in the life, we're tempted to think, if I could just get a boyfriend or girlfriend, if I could just get married, if I could just have children, if I could just get a raise, if I could just get a new car, that would be help. That would be deliverance. And this song is given to us so that we can, A, know the right answer, and, and B, see the importance of repeating the right answer. Repeating it to ourselves, repeating it to each other. You know, it's not enough just to know things. We need to hear truth and we need to speak truth to ourselves. And when you catch your heart going after other things, when you catch your heart putting its hope in other things, remember Psalm 121. Remember to speak back to yourself. No, no, no. As good as these things are, it's the Lord who's watching out for me. It's the Lord who is ultimately going to cause me to stand. 
Next week, we're going to look at the, the, the foolishness of people trying to do things and achieve things and build things. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Don't put your trust in those things. Put your trust in the living God. Put your trust in the Lord. He watches over you. He guards you. You're the apple of his eye. Don't be afraid. Your help is at hand. It's not far away. It's right at your right hand. Let us not be afraid. Let us worship the living God. Let's close in prayer, and I'm going to call the worship team up. And we'll move into and call the ushers forward. Let's close in a word of prayer and have time for our offering. Lord God, we we thank you that you are our help, that you are our deliverer and our protection, that you are the one who keeps your eye upon us night and day. Lord, we thank you that you are our great Father, and we thank you that we need not be afraid. And Lord, we praise you for providing a way of salvation. We praise you that the benefits of knowing you are not for this life only, but ultimately are eternal. And so, Lord, we offer now gladly our money that you have given us the ability to make, and we give it freely and gladly, trusting that you will continue to take care of us, that you will continue to watch over us as you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.